You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Good morning, guys. Happy New Year. I know we've said that a couple times, but it's just fun to say. We, we have a new year. Isn't that great? I love new beginnings, and I'm excited to spend this first weekend of the new year with you. Um, I am from this far, distant, happy, shiny place called Orange County. Anybody from Orange County around here? Strange place indeed, but as uh, Tarek said, I do have roots here in the Bay Area. I grew up in San Jose, which as I was hanging out with your pastor Dave yesterday, he informed me that's not nearly as cool as being from San Francisco. So I've been humbled already being here. But I would imagine San Jose or San Francisco, we have a, a mutual love-hate relationship with the San Francisco 49ers, right? And boy, do they need a new year, right? So uh, it is great to be here. I've been hanging out with my family. Um, my parents still live in San Jose, the house that I grew up in. My wife Lisa's here. In fact, honey, would you raise your hand? There she is. And check this out. We met in the registration line of Biola University. Isn't that cute? That, that really happened. And we knew something was happening and it just took us five years to figure out that meant marriage. So if you're in one of those really long evolving relationships, sometimes those things actually work out. And it worked out for us to the tune of four kids. We have four kids, um, an 18, 16, 11 and nine-year-old, three boys, a little girl. So that's us, um, here you guys are. I just want you to know before we open up God's word, It is so exciting to see what God is doing through you in this city. And as Tarek said, I had this really incredible opportunity to help plant a church in Orange County, in Costa Mesa, and now we have several different communities in the county. And I can, with with firsthand experience, just tell you it is such an exciting thing to get in on something from the beginning. And I know you guys are about to turn five years old, but this is just the beginning. In fact, look around the room. You guys are founding fathers and mothers of a church. How cool is that? And God has just begun to fan the flame of work he's doing through you into this city, I believe across the Bay Area, and here you are. And whether you've been here for the last five years or maybe this is your first weekend, I just wanna say step in, dive in. In fact, there's maybe not a better weekend than this one, the beginning of a new year. For some of you, be the beginning of a new way to step into God's work here at Reality San Francisco. And I'm excited to be here to seek God with you today. We're in this great season. Um, It's actually over now, bummer. But, um, you know, it's, it's when we're reminded that God came near, but God is still near. He's the God that still wants to be sought. I heard um, a funny story. In fact, I read it in the paper a month or so ago about a church in, I think it was North Carolina, somewhere out there. And they had one of those life-size nativity sets, you know, kind of the cheesy plastic ones they set out front of the church. And they had this ongoing problem in that people kept ripping off baby Jesus. That's not cool, is it? People, these pranksters kept stealing the little baby Jesus. And so they finally figured out how to beat the system. They put a GPS tracking device on baby Jesus. (laughs) And that's just a great picture that says Jesus is going to be found. Jesus wants to be found. (laughs) And not just at Christmas, not just in a manger. Jesus wants to be found by us here today. And I think this is just a great way for us to step in together and seek him. And we get to seek him with the word of God, but specifically the words of a guy who sought God. In fact, he's talked about as a guy whose heart was after God, David. 
Um, I don't know if you guys know David, like David. If you grew up in the church, he's the guy that you know, swung the slingshot and took down the giant and had a crazy roller coaster of a life. I mean, he was up and down and all around. I love that about David. And we're going to open up God's word to the Psalms today. And David's story is chronicled in several places in the Old Testament. But the Psalms don't just tell us the story of David. They give us a glimpse into the heart of David. He wrote many of the Psalms. And today we're going to open up God's word to Psalm 25. And I'm excited because I just get to share with you in a very simple way some things that God has been showing me that have really changed me. It revolves around this Psalm, Psalm 25, particularly two verses of it. But can we open our Bibles together? To Psalm 25, and we're going to start from verse 1 and read it through, and I think God is going to use these words, which are really a prayer. As you read the Psalms, I'm actually a worship guy. I came up uh, leading the church through being behind a keyboard, and I, I love music, and I love how music, even Tyler and I were hanging out yesterday, talking about how music is both the soundtrack for God's work in our lives in our church, but it also is a way to wrap the, the questions and passions and, and gifts we want to give back to God. And each of these psalms, if you read the psalms, you need to understand that there are two things. There are songs. So this was the worship set list of God's people for generation after generation. In fact, many of the, the choruses you sing today are taken from words that are thousands of years old. But also there are prayers. There are heart cries to God. And I love the psalms because they remind us that we have permission to bring our whole selves before God. Every aspect of our lives and our emotions. I mean, I grew up in a church where I think I often felt like I really had two emotions to choose from coming in. It was either be grateful or be quiet. And the Psalms give us incredible permission to be confused or ecstatic or bitter, frustrated, grieving, laughing, celebrating. It's all here. And so much of it is captured in the words in the life of David. And so we're going to read this psalm, Psalm 25 today, and we're going to discover that this psalm is a psalm of lament. And what that means is a psalm that packs a lot of questions and anxiety and sadness and fear. And that is worship. In fact, we're going to discover in a second how David even begins with a really powerful act of worship. But let's read through it, starting in verse 1. This is the NIV I'm reading from. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. You, Lord, are good. And that's just about half of the psalm. And in fact, today, we're going to focus in on two verses of this psalm that, like I said, have really shaped my life over the last couple years. But let's look quickly at verse 1, because David has a pretty strong lead in. He says, in you, Lord my God, I put my trust. And maybe for some of you, the versions of the Bible you're reading say to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And I like that picture, lifting up my soul. 
In Hebrew culture, you didn't pray like this, this real quiet, somber prayer. They, they were very demonstrative, very passionate, expressive in their prayer, both in thanks and despair. They let it out. And so you picture prayer looking like this. And what David's describing is lifting up his soul. And, and in, in this understanding of the soul, it wasn't like this ghostly part of us or a style of music. or it, What it is, it's the very essence of us, what is most real in us. In fact, I like this description of the soul. It says, the soul is the unique, everlasting, intangible part of us. And so it's, it's the stuff that it is shoved down deepest within, and David is saying, God, I want to let it out, and I want to lay it out before you. To you, God, I'm going to give it. In a sense, what David is saying, to paraphrase this, is take it, God, take it all. Take it all from me, because I can't carry it. I can't hold it together. I need you. And I want to do something just for a moment. I want to ask that you would... Most of us maybe have Bibles in our hands or other stuff. Would you just, for a moment, step into an act of worship with me by opening up your hands? Open up your hands. Even if you need to set your Bible down or to the side. And I'd like to pray with you because I think as we explore a few simple calls that God has for us today into this new year, there's just not a better way for us to start than to pray that prayer. Lord, take it all. Take it all. Maybe with your eyes closed, it just helps in a big room to really zero in on God because he is here. Not just near, he is here. God is here. And there's ways he wants to lead and awaken, convict and free us today. But a powerful way for us to begin to respond to him is just to open up our hands to him and say, Lord, I am here. And I have this, this tangled mess of a thing called life that I want to give to you. My dreams, my passions, my fears, my regrets, my guilt, my past, my future. Take it all, Lord. Take it all. I give it to you. You know what to do with me. You know how to lead me beyond this moment today. Lord, we pray that you receive us and do more in us today than any one of us could take credit for it apart from you, in your power at work in us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as David prays, take it all, we get the sense that he's up against the wall. And I would imagine this morning, if we were to be honest, many of us are up against the wall. And we got that sense as we read through the psalm is that he has enemies around him. And David often found himself in this place. You know, after he defeats Goliath, he ends up on the run from a crazy king named Saul. Later in his life, he's on the run again from his own son, Absalom. So even though David had great days of glory and esteem, he also had times of incredible loneliness when he felt betrayed and abandoned. And this is one of those times he's writing out of. On the run, most likely in the wilderness, most likely alone, and he's surrounded by enemies that are treacherous. In fact, the psalm later goes on to talk about how David has his foot metaphorically caught in a trap. He's ensnared. So David feels cornered, and he feels cornered not only from the outside, he's got enemies from the outside, he's got an enemy within himself. And if you read the psalm, we touched on this just briefly at the beginning of the psalm, remember, remember not the sins of my past. David also feels guilty. So he's got enemies from the outside, he's got enemies from within, and he's saying, Lord, I need your help. 
I need some sure footing to step forward on. And so he says, Lord, I want you to show me. As I take my next step from this place, as I try to find my way out of this corner, I need you to show me. And and what we're going to look at today is three simple ways I believe God wants to lead us into this new year. Personally, intimately, I think really powerfully. And the first one we see in verse 4, show me your ways, Lord. Show me your ways. Show me. And the indication here is that, that God has something he can show us, more than something, things, a way of life, a lens on reality he can show us that we can never see for ourselves. He has things he wants to reveal to us. You know, Orange County is the proud home of the happiest and most expensive place on earth called Disneyland. And I heard a great story about Disneyland years ago. It's about a father taking his little boy to Disneyland for the first time. And maybe you've been that little boy or girl where, you know, your first visit to Disneyland and there's such buildup and excitement and so they finally make it there and navigate all the parking and the tram and they get to the turnstile and they finally make it through. And some of you, if you've been to Disneyland, you can even picture this moment. You're through the turnstile and you're into that front entrance And this little boy's eyes are just wide with joy and excitement. He looks to one side and he sees this concession stand. And it's awesome. It's got balloons and the biggest lollipops he's ever seen and Mickey Mouse hats. But even better, he looks to the other side and he sees some real Disney characters. Now, that's not where the cool ones hang out, the A-listers. You know, Mickey, you have to go all the way back to the park, you know, way back there to see him. But here you've got Jafar and Shmi and evil stepsister number two. Let's say they are the ones there, but they're giving hugs and they're signing autographs and this little boy is so excited. And then, to top it off, he sees this massive steam train pulling in. You guys know what I'm talking about right now? You know, where we are in Disneyland? There it is, this, this real steam train. He's got a little train at home. This thing's huge. It's pulling into the station. And so he is just so excited until his dad takes his hand and starts to tug him the direction of one of these two dark tunnels. And the kid won't budge. And the father kind of pulls a little harder and the kid's not going. And the dad finally says, you know, we gotta go. And the little boy says, daddy, I don't wanna leave Disneyland, we just got here. And what he didn't understand is he's just in the front entrance of Disneyland. And can you imagine the smile on this dad's face as he throws his kid on his shoulders and takes him through that tunnel down Main Street into the good stuff, right? What's the good stuff of Disneyland? What's your favorite ride? Space Mountain. I mean, that's, that's all time for me. Splash Mountain, Thunder Mountain, all sorts of mountains. But you know, that's where the excitement is. And isn't it sad that that little boy would have settled for balloons and a lollipop and to shake Shmi's hand. I mean, that would be <laughs> so much less than the dad wanted to take him to. And guys, as we read this call, show me your ways. What we need to hear as kids, as sons and daughters of the king this morning, is that God has so much to show us. And so often we'll settle for life, just be on the turnstile. We pray a prayer, we fill a seat on Sunday, and God says, no, I've got things to show you. I've got things to show you. And in our culture, sometimes secrets are used to protect, to guard, as leverage, manipulation. Like the Wizard of Oz, don't look behind behind the curtain. But we see something very different painted in this psalm, that, that God not only wants to show us, he wants to confide in us. Look at verse 14. 
of Psalm 25. It says this, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. The Lord confides in those who fear him. And this idea of fear, biblically, is not being spooked or scared, although God can be pretty scary if he wants to be. But it's much deeper than that. It's a reorientation. So what David is saying is those who are willing to take God's eyes on reality, orient their life to his ways, his realities, he wants to share things with. He wants to make his covenant known to them. And that, that word covenant is the word hesed, which means love. It's in love that God wants to share with us, not just about his love, but about many, many things. In fact, that word confide, in the Hebrew, it's the word sod. And most of us, when we hear the word sod, you think of something you put on the ground or dirt, right? Earth. But in the Hebrew, it's the picture of a couch, or not just a couch, a love seat. And if you know a love seat, love seats are intended to be small, to, to push people together. I've had a love seat in my office for years. It's always funny when we have a big meeting and we get two big guys in the love seat together. Always awkward. I mean, it's really fun to watch is the guy that's sitting in the rolling chair just kind of smiling because these guys are fighting for real estate between them. And there they are together. But this is a picture of God saying, I want to bring you on the love seat with me. I don't want to stay Distant from you, I want to draw you in. I have whispers, secrets, revelations to give you. And it's really a picture, first of all, of the Father's relationship with the Son. See, there's nothing that God will ever invite us into that Jesus hasn't first shown us how to live out. And this is really an invitation to intimacy with God that was modeled powerfully by Jesus. In fact, turn to John 5. In John 5, Jesus is trying to describe his relationship with his father. And even to call God father in this time was heretical. I mean, it could be punishable by death. And Jesus is declaring that he has not only a father, but an intimate relationship with the father God. And John 5 verse 19 says this, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does... The son also does. But here it is. Look, verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him. He shows him all he does. The father is confiding to Jesus. That's the kind of relationship, that interdependence they share. But then it goes on in John 15. Turn to John 15, verse 15. To paint a really exciting picture. And that is that God wants to invite us in to that same intimacy through his son, through the gift of his spirit. John 15 says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. See, a servant is held out of the inner circle, the circle of trust. But instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. There it is. Because you are friends. I want to invite you on to the love seat with me. I want to confide in you. I want to show you a different way of seeing yourself, seeing the world. I want to invite you into mysteries and secrets. And, and this is all because of his love. Again, that, that hesed, that covenant love, it's because of his love that he draws us in. Now, we can talk about this, but what does it practically look like? Well, I want, to, want you to know that this has been an incredible couple years for me because as a guy that grew up in the church um, and has pastored a church for many years, 
and been a part of many church gatherings, God has been revealing himself to me in such new and fresh and intimate ways. And I just want to encourage you, if you feel like you're sort of stagnant or you've somehow arrived in relationship with God, there is more. There's more for you. But sometimes the most important part is us being willing to, to pay attention to what God has to say. And in these last few years, God has allowed me to, to have more space. I had it before. I just claimed it to pay attention to what he wants to show me. And, and the evidence is in my pocket here. This is um, just a stack of cards. Now, I'm somebody that journals a lot. I don't know if anybody journals out there. And I, I've always loved journaling as a way to pray to God and pour my heart out to God. Part of it is I'm just so kind of all over the place, ADD-ish in my prayers. It's really hard for me sometimes to focus. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. And so journaling just helps me sort of channel those thoughts to paper and give my heart to God. But there's, there's something else I started doing. And as I begin to grab moments with God, sometimes hours with God, I try to have ears to hear and, and eyes to see what he was trying to show me. I just began to write him down on a card. And sometimes that would come through scripture. Scripture, in fact, often it would. Sometimes it would come through nature, just being still and just observing the, the rhythms of life and nature. Sometimes that would come through friends, somebody speaking a word prophetically over me. Sometimes that would come through just pictures he would show me. There are so many ways I've discovered that God wants to show me things if I have eyes to see. And it's been so encouraging over these last months and even years to just begin to write these things down one card at a time. And it's funny because it's, it's more than having a big pack of cards, which is cool, because in some ways this is like an altar. I don't know if you guys know in the Old Testament they build altars, stones at a time, to declare God's faithfulness. And in some ways this is an altar that just says God has been faithful God has been faithful to reveal himself to me, not just once or twice, but in ongoing ways. God has been faithful to invite me into an intimate relationship with him. But what this has also done is just created, created a new expectancy in my relationship with God. And so there are moments where I'll be frustrated because I'm saying, hey, this is a card moment. I need a card. This is a moment that's card worthy because I sense that God's trying to impress something on me, stir me towards something. And so guys, very simply, as we look at this first call, and as you step into 2015, one of the invitations I think God has for you is to take this posture of, I'm ready to be shown things by you, God. What is God showing you? That's a great question to carry, not only into the new year, but daily. What is God showing me now? But it doesn't end there. It also says that God wants to teach us the second part of verse four says, show me your ways, Lord, teach me your paths. And so it's not just about discovering, it's not just about revelation, it's, it's walking in that, growing in that, learning, not just for head knowledge. I was one of those guys that always figured out how to get an A. I don't know if any, anybody's in the room like that where I would figure out how to get an A with the least work possible and learning the very least possible along the way. I discovered later in life, wow, that probably wasn't a good plan, but I had a pretty good GPA. But that's not the deal with Jesus. He's not out looking for a 4.0. He's not looking to fill you with head knowledge. He's looking to change you. He's looking to transform you. And that's what being taught meant in this culture. In fact, when Jesus hit the earth 2,000 years ago, one of the boxes, you know, they were trying to figure out, who is this guy? What's he about? He was so controversial, so passionate. He was stirring up all sorts of 
trouble and curiosity, but one of the boxes they could put him in is this must be a rabbi. This must be a rabbi because he was brilliant and there was an authority to his words that was undeniable. And so here is this rabbi walking planet earth and he comes up to a couple fishermen and he says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And many of us know the story. They laid down their nets, Andrew and Peter. But what they take up is a new mantle. Not physically, but more importantly, just the reality of this mantle of apprentice. Because if Jesus was a rabbi and they were to follow the rabbi, it means that he wanted to apprentice them to himself. See, back in this time, the educational system wasn't classrooms and, you know, online courses or whatever. It, it was basically one-on-one. It was a relationship and it was all about a rabbi saying, I choose you. And that was a really big deal. Because rabbis only choose, chose the best of the best. You know, the people with the 4.8s and president of three clubs and four sport athletes, the Stanford types, right? And those are the people rabbis went after, yet here is this rabbi going after people that would have been discarded, completely missed by most of society. And he says, perfect, I want you, but not only I want you, I want to help you become like me. That was the job of a rabbi in that time, to conform his apprentice into his image. And how cool is it that Jesus, in inviting these young guys to start to follow him, was not just leading them on a journey. He's saying, I not only want you to become like me, Jesus is saying, I believe you can become like me. Did you know that? Jesus looks at you and says, I believe in you. I believe you can become like me, not in your power, not in your genius, not in your effort alone. You don't stand a chance if it's on you. But Jesus says, I want to teach you in ways that transform you. And we see evidence of that in the book of Acts. Let's look at these same guys, these rough around the edges, clueless fishermen that begin to follow Jesus. Acts 4.13, this is one of the coolest scriptures. And so much has transpired. You know, this is years later. Jesus has died, he has risen, he has ascended, and he's done the handoff. And the Spirit has come at Pentecost. And we see that all heaven is breaking loose. The church is being ignited. And these same guys are teaching and leading with authority. There are thousands that are beginning to sign on for this movement. And in Acts 4.13, it says this. And it's talking about the, the religious leaders of the day. They're, they're looking at this and going, what is going on? It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been, what, with Jesus. So you see the effect of what it's like to be taught by this rabbi. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just more and more degrees not just more plaques on a wall. It's to be changed. In fact, one of my favorite verses, Romans 12, says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that word transformed in the original language, it talks about complete inner transformation. It's metamorpho. It's like a butterfly. Caterpillar to butterfly. That's the work God wants to do in you. Not just all at once. I mean, as we are saved, we're saved in this journey of being remade in the image of Christ reclaiming who we are intended to be all along. But Jesus says, that's how I want to teach you. And so the question into this new year is not just is what, what's God showing me, 
A second question is, how is God changing me? How am I becoming more like Jesus? That's David's prayer. Show me, teach me. And there's one more. Show me, teach me, but finally guide me. Guide me. And obviously these words are all sort of interrelated and overlap, but there's something about being guided that implies you are on a journey. You're being taken somewhere. You're being led somewhere. Guide me in your ways, Lord. As I see your truth revealed, as I begin to learn and understand what it means to walk in this truth, Lord, I want to take a journey somewhere. And only you know, only you know where to take me. And a couple Psalms before, we find probably the most famous Psalm in the Bible, Psalm 23. In fact, let's turn there. Some of you, I would imagine if you grew up in the church like I did, you memorized this, you got the gold stars and the extra Kool-Aid and all that. And Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd. What's the next part? I shall not want. See, you, you memorized it like I did. Now, that's not what my new NIV says. I'll, I'll tell you what that says in a second. But it's funny, as a kid, I probably memorized this when I was six or seven years old. And I remember thinking this meant something totally different than it really means. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As a kid, I thought it meant, okay, if God's my shepherd, I'm not allowed to want anything else. I can't want that cool toy. I can't want a cookie. I can't want whatever. He's got to be the only thing I want. And it wasn't until years later that I realized, now this is an, an invitation because it says, the Lord is my shepherd. In the NIV, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And it goes on to talk about the way that God wants to shepherd us. He wants to guide us. And the most important part of the idea of being guided by God is to trust him to take the lead, to trust him to be the shepherd. Because it goes on in Psalm 23 to talk about the fact that it's not all peaks. There's some valleys. There's a dark valley, the shadow of death, a valley that holds trials that all of us, not just once or twice, but throughout life, find ourselves in. The book of James makes it very clear. Consider it pure joy when you encounter trials. And so the strange thing about the way God wants to shepherd us is he doesn't want to take us on detours. Wouldn't it be great if he did? That's not how he works. He wants to take us right through it, right through the valley, right through the trials. He knows there's something in there to show us, to teach us, to shape us. But what's critical for us, even as we have this new year ahead of us, is to say, Lord, I'm going to let you be the guide. I'm going to let you take the lead. And for some of us, that comes easier than others. For me, it's really hard. There's this thing called strength finders. Anybody ever heard of strength finders? It's this personality test thing. You know, there's... These things, you become an animal or a color or something. And, and this is one where you're, you're five strengths. There's something like 30 strengths, and you get narrowed down to a list of five. And here are my strengths, if I remember right. It's command, it's strategic, it's ideation, competition. Uh, There's another one. Whatever. The point is this. It, it makes me sound some, like some dictatorial, you know, A-type charger guy. And I guess in some ways I am. I, I, I hear that list and I read it and I go, yeah, that's kind of me. But consider how hard it would be to lead that guy. All right? Command. Yeah, I think I'll take the shepherd's staff today, Lord. 
um, strategic, and I know exactly how we're supposed to get there. Futuristic was one of mine. I, I know exactly what it's going to look like when we get there. Competition was one. I want to beat everybody in getting there. And then ideation, you know what? Can we just stop and think of 20 different ways to do this, you know, for a moment? And that is sort of a summary sometimes of my relationship with God, this give and take where as much as I say, Lord, lead, guide, shepherd, so often I get out ahead of him. So often I want to invite God to bless my plans and my life, my ways. And the call of Psalm 25 even as we are excited, many of us, to turn a page, to step into a new year, is to slow down and to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. In fact, Psalm 25, we see in verse 9, it says, He guides, He shepherds, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. So again, I told you these were simple things, guys. But maybe the most powerful way that you could start this new year and saying, God, I, I want you to show me your ways. I, I want to have that intimacy with you where you're speaking to me and revealing to me, awakening me to who you are and to what life looks like in you. And not only do I want to see those things, I want to begin to walk in them. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be transformed. I want those things. And God says, well, it begins by trusting me to take the lead. Even in the midst of trials, in the midst of dark valleys, trusting that not only I know how to get you through them, but there are things I want to do in them, ways I want to change you, equip you, wreck you, and remake you that can only happen there. And our part is to say yes. Yes, Lord. You take the lead. You be the guide. And I said Jesus never calls us to do anything that he hasn't first modeled Himself, And I'd like to end today in Philippians 2. It's just a beautiful picture of Jesus. This was actually a, a, a hymn that was sung in the, old, the, the early church. So these words were put to music, and it was this very vivid, compelling picture of Jesus that was so the antithesis of the culture of that day. Philippians 2. Let's see if I can find it here. Because it describes the king who is willing to humble himself to be led by his father. And it begins in verse 6. It says this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, here it is, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then is the upswing, then the crescendo. Therefore, God exalts him to the highest place and gives him the name that's above every name. And do you realize this was written into a Greco-Roman culture where everybody understood life as a climb up a ladder. It was called the way of honor. 
cursus honorum, which sounds like a Harry Potter spell, right? But that, that was sort of the way of life and whatever station of life, whatever class of life you were born into, your goal pretty much as long as you had breath in your lungs was to try to get a bit higher. Whether you're the slave or the assistant to the emperor or anything in between, get a little bit higher and fight everyone else off. And into that reality comes Jesus crashing in, the king of kings, enthroned above all things, doesn't ascend, he descends. He goes down the ladder to become humble, to become available to the point of death, and then is lifted up. And what we see here in this psalm is an invitation. As we start a new year, even as we are tempted to let passion carry us forward, which isn't bad. God has given you passion. God has given you strengths. He's given me strengths. Even the ones I share with you, those are things he wants to use. He has used. He's got more for it, but it begins with this open-handed humility. Saying, God, I think I know, but you know so much better how to lead me, how to shepherd me, what to show me, how to teach me, how to transform me. And I just have faith that for many of you today, if you're willing to start the year this way, this time next year you'll be looking back, maybe with cards in your pocket like mine, but certainly stories to tell of places God took you you never could have found on your own, ways God changed you and used you in ways you could never take credit for. And so I wanna ask right now that you would do this. Would you once more empty your laps and open up your hands to God. I, I think there's such a power sometimes in physically inviting God into our reality. And it was just a few minutes ago that we were praying a prayer, Lord, take it all. Take it all. And it's in these times that we, we offer sacrifices. Romans 12 talks about the fact that in view of this God and his mercy that we're gonna celebrate with communion in just a moment, our fitting response, our right act of worship is to offer not just songs, the songs are the wrapping paper on the gifts we bring. And one more time, can we just pray, Lord, take it all? Because I just wonder if right now God isn't stirring up a sense of vision and excitement or maybe even fear towards what lies ahead with this year. And what you've heard today is this is a God who's not ahead of you or behind you. He actually is both ahead of you and behind you, but he's also right here with you in it. And he's inviting you onto the love seat. He's inviting you to follow him, to be apprenticed to him. More than anything, he's inviting you to be shepherded by him so that you can truly discover that in him you lack nothing, nothing. And he has everything to give. And so Jesus, we give you everything that we would keep for ourselves, we would cling to. Thank you that you did not cling to the throne of heaven, but for our sake you came down. And Lord, we do not cling to this last year. We do not cling to our strengths or our fears or our shame. We open our hands to you today and ask that you would begin a new work in us and in this family this year. Amen.